I'm Brendan Kearney, and you're listening to the Belgian Smack Podcast. Hey guys, as we approach the end of the year, this episode is a look back at 2021 in Belgian beer. It's a conversation with Owen Walsh, who writes in podcasts at Brussels Beer City. But before we get into it, I want to start with a thank you. It's been another really difficult year for myself and my family. People that are very close to me have become seriously ill and have required operations and treatment that have caused a lot of worry and stress. I've also had some health issues myself that have made me feel really vulnerable and afraid. On top of that, we've been in and out of lockdowns and quarantines with a one-year-old and a two-year-old. You know, we're trying to be good parents as well as scrambling to complete our work so that we don't let other people down. You know, and it feels like sometimes we haven't always done a good job. You guys might identify with some of that. It's been another tough year for a lot of people. But the more things become difficult, the more I'm filled with gratitude for the things that I do have. You know, my family, my friends, and the chance to do this. You know, at the end of a lot of these podcasts, you might hear me ask the subject if they love what they do. I think it's a it's a pretty asinine question, really, and the answers rarely tell us much more than we already know about the person. I think I asked it on my first podcast. I think it was with Rudi Gehira of Rodenbach because his passion for what he does was so all-consuming and it came across me at the table and you know it was kind of a statement rather than a question. But I kept asking that question in podcasts. It's so difficult in life to find a thing which fulfills you. The thing that if you didn't do it you'd be you know unhappy or agitated. So when we find that thing we need to hold on to it and celebrate it and keep doing it. You know, whether that's making candles or painting bird boxes or analyzing statistics or writing and making podcasts about Belgian beer. Don't let anyone judge you or convince you that it's silly or even that you're not good at it. Life is too short to spend it doing things that don't fulfill you. So love what you do. Now, I love what I do. I love reporting and writing and editing and podcasting and working with photographers and illustrators and creating something that tries to make sense of a thing that I don't fully understand yet. It's hard work and there are parts of it that I find really difficult, but I want to keep doing it for as long as I can. Now, despite this being a difficult year for me personally, it was a really great year for me professionally. I published more on Belgian Smack than I've ever done before and I got to write for publications that I respect such as National Geographic Traveller Food. Uh, in the States I wrote for Good Beer Hunting, a Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine 
and in the UK I wrote for Palacle Mag and Ferment Magazine. I also hosted the Tour de Hues at Home in May of this year. Then in October, this podcast won the North American Guild of Beer Writers Award for Best Beer Podcast. And my story about hop farming culture in the West Hook won the award for Best Local Reporting. Now, I love reading the work of all the other brilliant writers who were shortlisted because these awards are a true celebration of, you know, wonderful reportage and essays and broadcasts from the wider world of beer. In November, then, I was lucky to win the award for Best Beer Writer in 2021 at the Irish Food Writing Awards for work about Irish beer that I published in Good Beer Hunting. Now, I was really delighted about this because it was an award from home and because my name then was listed alongside journalists from respected national newspapers and magazines and online publications in Ireland. It was especially an honour given the high quality of the other Irish nominees, Owen Walsh, who you'll hear from in a minute, and John Duffy, who must be the most talented beer reviewer out there. You know, he's funny, he's honest, he's super knowledgeable, and he's just brilliantly engaging. So, Also in November, the Belgian Smack podcast won the award for best podcast in the culture and music category of the Belgian Podcast Awards. You know, that was phenomenal for a number of reasons. One, because a large part of the final score was down to a public vote, meaning that you guys came out and voted for this podcast in an overwhelming way. So for that, I am so grateful. Secondly, there were podcasts in the category produced by famous stations such as Studio Brussels, music institutions like Ancien Belgique, and national networks such as RTBF and VRT. You know, think like RTE in Ireland or BBC in the UK or NPR in the States. They were all in Dutch or French. You know, English isn't even a national language in Belgium. And those other podcasts were about all aspects of culture book podcasts, music podcasts, gaming podcasts, podcasts about museum culture. So it just shows you how culturally significant beer is to life in Belgium, that a niche beer podcast could win the culture and music category of the National Podcast Awards. And then at the beginning of December, I was lucky enough to be awarded the title of Best Regional Beer Writer by the British Guild of Beer Writers for my work on stories from the Flemish regions. Again, to be in the company of so many fantastic writers in that competition is a real joy, and I'm grateful to the Guild and to the judges. It was also fantastic that Ashley Joanna, who writes and shoots our Humans of Belgian Beer series, won the award for Best Young Beer Writer. If you haven't already checked out her work, you should take a look when you get a chance. So this is where I want to say thanks. Thanks to you for reading and listening to me this year and for the past five, six, seven years. Thanks to you for voting for me in the Belgian Podcast Awards. Thanks to you for leaving reviews and giving me positive feedback and championing Belgian Smack by sharing and commenting and liking our stories and podcasts. You know, it, it all just means so much. So let's get into it. A year in review. A look back at Belgian beer in 2021. 
I sat down with Owen Walsh, fellow Irishman in Belgium, and the winner of several awards himself at the North American Guild of Beer Writers Awards this year, including the awards for Best Beer Review, Best Short Form Writing, and Best Beer and Food Writing. We started off by chatting about developments in the world of Belgian Trappist beer over the last 18 months. So in October 2020, Rochefort released a new triple. In March of this year, Westmala made their lower alcohol extra available outside the alley. And in May of 2021, Chimay released a strong blonde they called the 150 or 150. There was also some confusion in January of 2021 when Ackle lost the right to display the authentic Trappist product logo on its labels. So Owen and I discussed all of this and tried to gather some thoughts on the health of brand Trappist as we approach 2022. The Trappist Rochefort is a 8.1% triple. Uh, like you said, quite fruity, stone fruity. I think it's quite drinkable. You know, it doesn't go in the kind of direction of the West Mala, big mouthfeel, big sort of heavy banana stuff. And then the shime is quite phenolic. I'm getting more yeah. spiciness. A lot of spice coming off of that. A lot of sort of clovey kind of... Yeah, like um, it reminds me of... Um, Old apple tarts I would eat at Christmas. Yeah, that I, that I didn't like, but in a better way. It's got it's got the it's got that in the nose and the, and in the the flavor as well. Yeah, it's. I mean, when you talk about strong blonde and Duvel being the reference beer, there, it's quite a bit. Yeah, less Duvel clean. is way cleaner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I suppose that takes us on to the fact that there has been all this kind of activity in in the world of Trappist, and I think people were kind of surprised, you know, to see stuff happening. So why do you think the, the Trappies decided to release new beers and, you know, what, what, why was 2021 good to bring it on the market now? It's a good question. I mean, I'm not entirely sure. And I presume, you know, as with a lot of things in Bel- Belgian beer, like the, the, the plans and the trends and the, and the decisions were being taken several years, presumably before the pandemic. But for whatever reason, they all seem to have converged in the last 12 months. So as with the Trappist Rush 4, with the Chimay, but also with the West Mala Extra, which unlike these two beers, isn't exactly a new beer, but it's not a beer I'd ever seen or drunk. Um, I'd never had a chance. Well, I don't to. think it was available. It wasn't distributed outside of the, the sort of the brewery. Or exactly. The... As I understood it, it was, you know, sold out the back of the door of the, um, of, of the Abbey up there. It's an interesting one. I'm not sure. Um, I think probably a, just a general desire to renew to some extent. I mean, some of these beers are logical. Like, it's logical that Rochefort has a beer called Triple. You know, it's a... I mean, Rochefort obviously are known for the beers. They're numbered. Their styles are maybe slightly heterodox compared to the traditional Abbey beers. They didn't have a triple in the range. They do now. It sort of squares that circle. Um, The second one, the Chimay, we'll get onto that, I think, maybe in a little while. Strong Blonde is the coming force in, in... traditional Belgian brewing or mainstream Belgian brewing. I think we're going to probably in the course of the conversation over these beers, we're going to kind of bifurcate our conversation between, let's say, the mainstream and the traditional versus the new and the experimental. Independent, new wave, whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to use the word craft, but uh, it's probably going to come up. Um, There's a market opportunity there for them. You know, or there's a, people are seeing a market growing like Duvel is, you know, towers over everything else. But 
if you're going to be a Trappist beer and you want to do something new, Strong Blonde is sort of a logical brand extension. I don't like to use the word brand extension because they're monks. I don't know how much they're marketing. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that was a thing. Like when I when I first arrived in Belgium, I think, you know, I, I didn't really know much about beer, and, and it was the Trappist that really kind of caught my attention for both the beers and the story. You know, mm. so it's like, uh, so you're telling me this was made within the walls of an abbey. It's it's higher in alcohol normally than the beers I'm used to drinking. It's got like such a pronounced flavor profile. And then sort of you go through this kind of romantic relationship with trying all the Trappists. And you know, when you're in cafes, they're available in so many shitty like, yeah. train station cafes. You can just, you know, that's your first experience. And then, you know, you learn about it and you, you discover other breweries and you go through this cycle. And then, you know, when I started to sort of try to do some writing and stuff, I became more cynical. And I was like, you know, are these... These are, this is just like a commercial like front for, for these beers that, you know, you put this story ahead of it. And actually there are monks, yes, but, you know, the, the, the brewing and the decisions and everything is actually taken by, um, by you know, the, these sort of marketing teams. And then I, I was assigned a couple of stories and I did a story um, in West Mala where I was able to go into West Mala, hmm. into the brewery itself. I was able to taste beer from the lagering tanks, see the brew house, um, but I also got the opportunity to kind of go to some services and like walk around the farms and speak to the, the monks that were actually farming there. And then I did, I did the same in Orval and I had mm. a chance to go around the whole the whole abbey and also go to a service and, you know, get to go up and sit beside the monk who's playing the organ. And, you know, when I was there, I was like, the 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 the, the monks really do make the decisions about the brewery. Yep. And there are commercial people involved. And I think the commercial voices in certain breweries are perhaps more influential. For example, I think at Chime, they're kind of maybe a little bit more commercial because they produce a lot more beer. Um, but I came away from those experiences really knowing, like, look, the, these, the, the monks are literally just doing this for generating money for the upkeep of the Abbey and mm. for their own causes and to invest in, in those communities that they live in. And, you know, there are smart people in the brew house and like lay people and smart people in the in the, in the marketing teams that, that do help them but so that that was something that I really kind of I think it's important to know because th there is so much romance about Belgian beer and so much of it is is deceptive hmm. some you know in, in terms of abbey beers or in terms of the some of the, the horseshit that family brewers you know spin in in their marketing which you know is not dissimilar to what wineries in France are doing of course, and stuff. yeah so I, I guess that that was important but in the context of the this release you know it's like there, there, there's both, it's the same thing. There's both like a mix of this is just what we do and this beer fits in our range. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you look at them, there's also very clear, they're clearly looking at the market. So like the, all, all three of the beers, like the extra from West Mala, the, the 150 from Shime and the triple from Rushford are blonde beers. Mm. The ABV, low ABV trend where they're trying to get more sessionable yields. West Mall is going for that. Let's let's get a West Mall on people's hands, you know, and they can maybe have and drive home, you know, yeah. in Belgium. And it works too, because as a beer, it's a perfect beer to a perfect session beer. Yeah, right. absolutely. And I mean, you know, there, there has been just, I mean, whatever people say about New England IPAs or IPAs or other traditional styles, the, the triple just remains king. And the, you know, the strong blonde is kind of, a separate style, but it's, 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 you know, part of this, it holds its hand. It's part of the same family. It's like, you know, like a triple basically with a, with a body of a lager. So, you know, there, there's that thing that exists and I, I'm just so, I'm just so fascinated that they all decided to do it at the same time. And is that as a, as a cause of like, oh, there's maybe, 
is there not panic, but is there like, okay, now we have to do something in 2021. Things in the market are changing for us and our Trappies brand is, you know, it, it's, it needs a little something in, of revigoration. Absolutely. I think, you know, you talk about your initial beer experience. My initial beer experience when I moved to Belgium was with Duvel, but the market has changed enormously since both we came. But also you look back 20 years ago, Belgian beer, you had Pils and you had Special beer. And when you talk about Special beer, that's Abbey's and Trappists. And Trappists were really held up as this, for all the reasons you described, this unique beer tradition. Uh, and also packed with flavor, different, strong, and all the rest of it. And they didn't have to work that hard, I think, to sell those beers in the way that maybe they do now. I mean, we're talking about a time when West Vlateren was regularly number one on rate beer for years and years and years. And, you know, the whole story, you could only buy it at the brewery, you had to go there, you need to give your registration plate, all of that stuff. I mean, all that mysticism uh, really played into them. And they didn't, you know... You know this, I know this, talking to Belgian brewers, they like to talk a good game about not being interested in marketing. We don't do marketing. We care about what's in the beer. But these monks had a ready-made marketing, branding identity that they didn't need to work on. Fast forward to 2020, 2021, 2019, whenever these decisions were made to launch these beers, the market is hugely different. You still have pills as the holy, you know, the, the center of Belgian brewing. I mean, the most consumed beer style in the country. But that special beer category has fractured. So you still have the Abbey beers, you know, your Grimbergens, your Leffes and the rest of it, um, which are, I think now sometimes I see them more as export beers than, than, than big beers in Belgium. You look to France and their obsession for whatever reason with Grimbergen. But on top of the Abbey beers and the speciality beers, you have the return of Lambic, you have the rise of strong blondes, you have IPAs, you have new breweries, uh, more of a focus on localism, you know, the market is very different and I'm guessing that these monks, or the monks and the, and the marketing people and everybody in the Travis breweries are aware of that. Yeah, I mean, and, I, they, yeah and I think it's like, you know, uh, people may be like, why are they, why are they get, you know, talking so much about a, a brewery that's released a new beer? But I think it has to be remembered that Trappists haven't released a new beer in, I don't even know when the last time the, the, the new beers were released. It's like decades, you know? Yeah. So it's not like, you know, a lot of breweries you know, do pull out a beer, one one beer every, like some of the family brewers would do one new beer every, say, two to three years. Yeah. The, the, the Trappies haven't done that. So this is kind of a cause for, you know, interest. Yeah. And, um, you know, the other the other point about kind of releasing new beers at this time is on the question of brand Trappist. So another thing that happened in 2021 was that um, Ackle lost the right to use the authentic Trappist product logo on their labels. Mm-hmm. And that is basically, there, there are certain requirements for that. And I think a lot of people got confused about, um, it, it was basically to do with the fact that there were no uh, practicing monks in Ackle anymore. And that's kind of a lo- been a longstanding problem that's, you know, they've, they've known about, w- w- they've known that it was common. But I think um, th- that a lot of people got that confused that they thought that Ackle was no longer a trapeze brewery, mm-hmm. you know. And there, there was sort of confusion about it online. And they're very much still part of the family. They rely heavily on the lab at, at West Manor for, for, yeah. for brewing. Um, there are developments in the Abbey itself from a, from a spiritual point of view, but also uh, in terms of like new bottling machines and, and some of that thing. So, you know, that's very much a, a vibrant brewery. That's that's a small part of a the small trappies. one, but yeah. it's one that will continue. But I mean, in terms of the, the trappies brand generally, I, I, I'm not sure if the... 
like there has been a lot of new there over the last say five six years there was a lot of new entrants to the to the trap east sort yes. of family in terms of breweries across different parts of europe and i think that was something that they found hard to manage because the the, the level of quality between the, the the other new breweries was at different levels and also the styles that were brewed were not necessarily the same as those that the belgians had brewed so you know i'm just wondering if you had any thoughts about like like how healthy brand Trappist is in 2021 and going into 2022? Well, I think maybe I'd make a distinction between the health of the brand versus the iconic nature of the brand. So in the sense of brand Trappist, is there are still Trappist breweries being built. I mean, in the last five years, we've had the one in the UK. I'm sure there are others. You have them in Italy, Austria, obviously um, in the US with Spencer. But I think you're absolutely right in saying what a Trappist beer is, has been diluted, um, uh, which is a natural process. The more voices you bring in, the more likely those voices who are not from Belgium or from Northern France or from Limburg in the Netherlands, they have different beer traditions and, you know, they're going to brew the beers that are that are interesting for their market, that will sell in their market in the same way that, I mean, the, the Trappist brewers in Belgium brew blondes, doubles and triples because that's what Belgians have wanted to drink in the... 70 or 80 years that the Trappists have been selling them commercially. And in the US, it's going to be IPAs. In other countries, it's going to be different styles. I think that's a natural extension, but you're absolutely right in saying that what a Trappist beer is nowadays is much less clear than what it was 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, no, but there's, you know, there's a limiting group of, of um, people, of abbeys that can actually apply to have a brewery in there. But it, sometimes it just feels to me that you know, because we have it, we'll just throw a brewery in and that's fine. And, you know, there can be an expression in your beers of where you're from and that's 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 fantastic. And I'm not saying that you can only have to be Belgian to be a Trappist, but I mean, from my tasting experience, there is a clear delineation in quality between what the Belgians are doing. And just, mm-hmm. you know, the resources they have at hand, the experience they have at hand, the people that are working there. I mean, the, the, the lab at West Mala and the stuff they're doing at Orval and everything, you know, it's, it's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think... Maybe there's a there's a there's a danger that I mean it's it's strange to talk about monasteries as new entrants or upstarts or startups, but I mean Tint Meadow I think is a good example of a brewery and a monastery who've done it quite well. I mean I think they only have one or maybe two beers at this point. They've lent very heavily on their Belgian brothers in 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 developing their 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 business model and and the brewery. Is that the same case for the rest of them? I know I've tried some of the Italian Tre Fontaine the Trappist beers. They've been fine. The Austrian ones, again, fine. Um, I note, I don't know what the current situation with La Trappe, if they're still recognized as a Trappist brewery I, from I, across I, the border. I, I think they are. They, they go back and forth. Yeah, but I, I see recently they're, they're now in a, they have a collaboration coming out with BrewDog. Yeah, you, you, you saw where I was going with that. I think, I think that's probably an overreach. And I don't think we're going to see... The Belgian monasteries. Okay, but let me challenge you. Why, why is it an overreach? What, what's wrong with having a collaboration with BrewDog? Well, we could spend a whole other podcast talking about the issues with BrewDog. Um, I think I can see where they're coming from. I can see where BrewDog in particular are coming from as a maturing brewery with breweries all over the world. They want to anchor themselves with a bit of heritage. How do you do that? You work with a heritage brewery and there are fewer heritage brands than Trappist. What La Trappe is getting out of it, 
maybe that's something in the Dutch market. Brewdog have a strong presence in, in Europe. I think maybe more so than people in the UK realize that Brewdog has quite good penetration here. So maybe they're seeking to reach out to a younger audience. The Belgian Golden Strong Ale and the Strong Belgian Blonde Ale are two styles of beer which seem to be growing in popularity in Belgium. Owen and I discussed the most successful proponents of those two styles, as well as the reasons why these beers might be interesting to Belgian drinkers. Duvel Morcat uh, celebrated their 150th birthday this year. Now, Duvel is the poster boy of the Golden Strong Ale. They kind of invented the style, I guess, or came up with the style. I, I mean, they had it. The, the Duvel itself was Victory Ale from, I think, from the 1920s. In the 1960s, it emerged with the help of, you know, well-known scientists to become this kind of paler, you know, more thin-bodied beer, you know, use of a lot of simple sugars to thin the body. Um, But, I mean, I think the beauty of Duvel is in its execution now, Mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of people try to to copy it and, you know, that's a very difficult thing to do. Why is the the golden strong ale or the, the strong blonde becoming... It seems like such a traditional beer in a way, though it's such a classic beer. Why has it becoming sexy or demanded by Belgians in 2021? Yeah, it's a, it's interesting. I think, you know, in the way you describe Duvel there, would it be a stretch to go so far as to say Duvel is sort of a contemporary Guinness in the sense of it's quite central now to modern oh, without a doubt. Belgian brewing? It's probably the most identifiable, I think, contemporary Belgian beer brand. And in the way of Guinness and one or two other beers, it defines the style. Oh, Everything. Whenever you try a strong blonde, does it taste like Duvel? That's the question. Is it better? Is it worse? Is it the same? Is it different? You know, that's that's what Duvel, I think, means in Belgian brewing right now. Um, and I think it's popular for a couple of obvious reasons. Um, for, for in the same reason that beer has sort of, over the course of a century or more, always leaned towards lighter effervescent beers you know in the in the the arc of brewing history goes from dark and cloudy acidic bitter towards the sweeter the lighter and in devil's instance the more alcoholic i mean let's not beat around the bush it's a very drinkable eight percent or so beer yeah it's it's basically yeah it's pills on steroids yeah you know and it's that's the thing the drinkability of it is a big part of you know why it's loved yeah you know and, and i think that what you talked about as well about the the attractiveness of a pale color, and that's something that Duvel work really hard on. Like I know that they the the reduction of thermal load in their in 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 all parts of brewing process, whether it's in the mash tun, they have like these sort of dimple plates that vibrate so that they don't have to stir and add unnecessary dissolved oxygen. They um they make sure that the control of all heating is at such to such a level that they don't have to heat longer for one second than they need to, mm-hmm. because that also slightly darkens the beer. They, um, the, you know, the, the use of centrifuges throughout the process, you know, so they've really thought about how do we make this really look as light as we can. Yeah. And yeah, and then you, you've just got, you know, the use of sugar. So, you, you know, you're using pills, malt and sugar and, you know, hopping it um, with, you know, traditional traditional hops, but that also have a little bit of citrus, um, some earthiness. But I think the the thing about Duvel is it's it's even though it is a Belgian beer, it is and it has good Belgian yeast characteristics. It's it's still fairly clean. Like we're it talking is. about the the the, the, the Chimay, 
it's it's you know it's very you know it's got the clove it's in, in the, your and face. The, some you pepper there sort of hitting you with i've got a lot of i've got a lot of yeast in me exactly yeah, you know. the 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 duvel is is a bit cleaner and it's kind of you know people have described it as like pure and i think that adds to drinkability mm-hmm. um so, you know, and high carbonation, you know, Duval admittedly say that, you know, we're going to say we need to sell half a glass of foam. So that's part of the visual kind of, you know, um, yeah. mission as well. So it's, it's I mean, it's fairly unique because it's it's kind of shares a lot with a, with a, a triple in, in terms of it, it's how it's constructed, but it's also shares a lot with a lager, which is like a Pilsner, yeah. which and is, it, you know, quite strange. And it succeeded in differentiating, you say it's quite similar to a triple and that's true. And I think... Outside of Belgium, maybe it's hard to distinguish the triple from the strong blonde because the brewers who are not Belgian who are making it maybe aren't making it to the same precision. Um, but what Duvel have done is that they've been able to distinguish themselves quite well from that her- heritage brand. They're not, I mean, Duvel, for all of its longevity, it's not really seen as a, as a heritage brand. I mean, they're celebrating the 150th birthday, but... It's a brewery that... But I think that's to do, to do with good marketing as well. They've Absolutely. Kept, they've, I mean, they, they have really kept on the forefront of almost every wave. Yeah. I mean, you look at the the the, Duval, um, the triple hop, you know, the Citra experiments that they did. You look at the barrel aging stuff that they've done. You look at the the brands that Duval Morgat family have bought, the Conning, mm-hmm. which they've changed from like a, a boring amber ale into like this like sexy pale ale in the city. Um, you know, you've, you look they, at they the, the Schuf, they bought Schuf, Schuf yeah. you know, they bought Leafmans, which is like heritage mixed fermentation brand. And they, you know, some of the Leafmans products are questionable, I think, in terms of, of, you know, their, their integrity, but you know, they, they've, they've got this fantastic pol- portfolio, which offers like so much in both story and flavor. You they know? brewed a New England IPA. It, yeah. So, I, I mean, mean, like probably, I mean, okay. I think aficionados of the New England IPA style would quibble had they tried the Ava and the Duvel, which was um, a collaboration between Duvel's uh, Dutch brewery at A in Amsterdam. Um, and having talked to Matt Bernelson, who's the brewmaster from Firestone Walker, a US subsidiary of Duvel, who was involved in the creation of that beer, it was maybe not as New Englandy as he had <laughs> wanted it to come out, yeah. but it's still one of the biggest breweries in the country taking a punt with their hair, with their main brand on a style that for a lot of Belgians just doesn't even exist. Yeah. No, it's not even on their radar. Absolutely. It's really not. It's really not. Yeah. No, and I think, I mean, I mean, obviously we're, we're, you know, we're trying to talk objectively here about Duval. I don't want to blow smoke up their ass or anything, but, um, you know, I think one, one thing that Duval will face in the next few years is like, it has grown quite a lot and it has taken on brands from other countries. And, you know, I know that in 2021, there were some um, issues about like, you know, toxic work environments in the Kansas brewery that they had yep. to face. And, you know, there are other challenges commercially with having so many different partners and, in, in, you know, because they also own like a Czech brewery that very few people know about. And so, so you know, let, over the next few years, they, they'll, you know, they'll have to become, you know, manage be- being a mm-hmm. multinational, <clears throat> you know, brewery owner. But, you know, the, I think the 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 fulcrum of it all, of it all was will probably still remain Duval yep. the beer itself you know yep. we've basically been talking for however many minutes as sort of you know a peon to 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 Duval and everything they've achieved and the way we talk makes it think that they are basically indestructible and impossible um, beer style that people should leave well alone but that's not the case I mean in the but last... I think the the success that Duval has experienced especially recently yeah has drawn people to that beer. Absolutely. 
Yeah. So, I mean, we talk about the rise of strong blondes. Like I, two, two, two brand names come particularly to mind for me, which is Cornet from, from the Palm and ultimately Swinkles Brewery and Omer. Two hugely successful beers, which you can barely throw a cat in Belgium without hitting an advertisement for one or the other. I'd say Cornet probably maybe more so than... Yeah, well, and I'd like to hear more about Cornet, but, but just on Omer, because, I mean, in West Flanders, where, where I'm based, mm-hmm. it is like it is like the beer. And, you know, there yeah. would, it, it's really... And, and the interesting thing about Omer is that Bokor became van der Hinste. And at the same time that they embraced their family heritage for you know, personal or maybe commercial reasons, I don't know, but marketing reasons, I don't know. But when they changed it, they, they released Omer as a beer. The name of every owner of that brewery for the last six generations, the, the first name. Now, that beer started out as a different beer than it is now. It actually started out more like a, a stronger triple, mm. as in it had more kind of maltiness. It was yeah. more full-bodied in its mouth. And I think over the years, as it's grown in popularity and it's found its way into more markets, it has become more like Duval. It's become yeah. more like a, a golden strong ale and, and become more drinkable. And I think that's been very intentional. And I think Duval have noticed it because, you know, they have been the kind of the standalone in a lot of bars in West Flanders yep. for, for, yeah, for, for years. And Omer is just starting, like not starting, they are basically, you know, becoming that, serving that function. Yeah. And, you know, that's probably a concern a little bit to Duval. And I think that the way that that recipe has tweaked over the years and, you know, that is really interesting because that shows like, okay, we're going to go after this type of Belgian drinker essentially. Yeah. And it's important to remember, I think as well, that we talk about these breweries, they all have quite a large, well, it's quite regional, but they still have quite a large stable of bars. Absolutely. And you talk about Duval essentially being alone. That's because... You run a bar, which is an Omer bar, um, and you don't brew well, a, well, That's you the difference between Duval. Duval don't, don't actually brand. own that many well, bars. that's true. But, you but Omer and all the yeah. others do. Yeah. So, and if you run an Omer bar and you want a strong blonde on your on your list 20 years ago, you put in a Duval. Nowadays, you have your own strong blonde. You can do that. And it's the same with uh, with Cornet. So is Cornet, is, is Cornet, like, is it effectively, and maybe this is overstated, but is, this the, is it the saviour of Palm and, and, and Swinkles? I think so. Um, I mean, nobody drinks Palm anymore. All due respect. I mean, but they all, were, they all due were respect in, to Special Belge. But they were in big trouble. Yeah. And I think, I mean, so the corner of Brussels that I live in, uh, Kugelberg, Yeta, there's, for some reason or other, there's a very large density of uh, Palm uh, bars. So actually, uh, Steinhoffel, which is where, where, where the Palm Brewery is based, is sort of in the direction, if you kept going out of Flanders and kept going north, you'd eventually hit Steinhoffel. Um a lot of the bars there are palm breweries. So you would have palm, you would have Rodenbach, Ste- um, Steinbergen, they're... Um, oh, Steinberger. Yeah. Steinberger, they're, they're, they're sort of Abbey-style beers. And now you have a special tap just for Cornet. And I've even seen recently, the branding has changed from Cornet, which was just pure Cornet, to Cornet Oaked. Something I... Because I was having, ironically enough, a, a Cornet beer last night. Um, but it comes with the same kind of pageantry as uh, as a Duval. It's a big glass, fluted glass, very well designed in the same way that the Duval glasses are very well thought through. Big head of foam, lovely blonde, clear thing, and and, and a clear, um, clear beer underneath. 
And it really speaks to the same sort of, I think, sensory impulses that, that, that Duvel does. And as you said, it has rescued a brewery, which, let's be honest, was not producing the most sexy beers um, the, uh, in, in Belgium. But it's also like a really interesting family brewery. I mean, okay, it's owned by a Dutch, a larger Dutch brewery now, but you go up to Steenhoffel and it's quite interesting. And they have the little experimental brewery um, alongside the, the, the bigger production brewery where Cornet came out of. And I think that beer has more than paid back the investment that they put in that they put into it. The biggest story in global beer this year was about toxic work environments, bullying and discrimination in the beer industry. Most of you will be aware of the work of Brienne Allen in the US and perhaps have followed stories in particular about Brewdog in the UK and Miguelet in Denmark. Owen and I talked about the situation in Belgium and discussed whether there are any initiatives that might ensure Belgian beer becomes safer, fairer and better. From from a Brussels perspective, there's a lot of very, I mean, people are conscious of these issues here. Now, whether or not they're living up to their ideals is another question. And I think if there were other people on this discussion and if there were women in this in the industry they would tell you probably a different discussion but from what we can see there you know you talk about festivals bars those sorts of informal environments um there's clearly an issue there you can also see in some of the attitudes of belgian brewers historically have not been very either gender sensitive or sensitive to other minorities we're talking about labeling here is quite a quite an obvious example i mean we can we can reel off the number of the, the 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 names of beers or the breweries who have put out questionable. Yeah, and, I mean we don't want to we don't want to broad brush all Belgian no. brewers, but I, I take your point. Like the evidence is there in some of the, the labels that we've seen. Yeah, the evidence is there. I mean, there are, you don't have to look too far for beer brands in Brussels. Well, I just seem to, I think that some of those labels, in Brussels in, Belgium, in, in, in those labels they seem to get away with it more than they do in other countries. Like I, they're held to account more in other countries, whereas here, just like it's just brushed away as it oh. Let's just, you know, you can put tits on a label and it's absolutely no problem. And I, 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 I see that in other countries, that's not the case. That's true. And I think some of that is generational. Some of that is the degree to which a country is online. I use that in, in I mean, I'm making air quotes here. Belgium, for all of its modernity, it's not a very online culture. So in the UK and the US, these things, they transmit very fast. And it's very, I know so many, there's a critical mass of people both in the culture and in general online that these stories get picked up. In Belgium, that's not the case. So we're talking about the issues that came up in the summer and, and the whistleblowing about about toxic work environments in the US, UK and, and elsewhere. Um, I w- most of that took place on Instagram and on Twitter. Two platforms in which Belgian they don't, beer they don't exist in Belgium. doesn't exist. I mean... And then you only have to look at the Facebook. So in fa- I think most of the dialogue that happens in Belgium is in, on Facebook. And you see that the abuse that people like Sophie van Raffelgem, who's one of the foremost beer experts in this country, that she gets, she's a national beer writer. She writes in uh, Flemish daily newspapers. She's on Flemish TV. She's a very well-known face. She writes about beer, you know, several books, currently working on another one. The abuse that she gets yeah, it's like it's like the most primitive, yeah, yeah most disgusting, the most sort of 
yeah, Neanderthal is a is a sort of is mean to the Neanderthals. You know, it's like that kind of just base abuse that you wouldn't think exists anymore. And I know that Facebook isn't necessarily a reflection of real life, but is it, a, it is a reflection of a certain segment of society who thinks that it's okay either to objectify or demean women working in the industry. And you ask any woman in the Belgian beer industry, and I have, and I'm sure you have too, Brendan, and they will tell you that they get these kinds of anti-Diluvian attitudes about their position in the industry. I guess the point is that, yeah, it exists in Belgium, but it's just hasn't maybe been able to get the voice yet that it yeah. has in other countries. Yeah. And I think you're starting to see maybe from a broader cultural perspective and people will always say, well, you know, we can't solve this in beer. It has to be a societal change, which I think is an absolute cop-out. People will, you'll get this comment. I mean, I've posted articles, the most successful article I ever posted on Brussels Beer City was an article by Helene Spittels, who's a a very accomplished um, guide and beer expert who lives in Brussels, who was calling out, she was calling out um, sexism in Belgian beer. Most successful article I've ever published. Um, you know, you'll get this comment to those articles saying, beer can't, this isn't a beer issue, this is a societal issue, which is a cop-out because, I mean, deal with it in the sector and then broader society may follow. But what you're seeing I mean, we've seen this burn on in the last couple of months is a pushback in Brussels and Ghent and in other cities against not necessarily in the beer industry, but more in the horeca and the bar scene, this um, explosion of complaints and um, yeah, how, how would you describe it? Accusations is maybe, maybe not the right yeah. word of harassment, abuse, um, beers being spiked, you know, we're talking about rape, we're talking about people being taken advantage of in vulnerable situations. Um, there have been um, boycotts of bars, both in Brussels and I think in Ghent as well. Yeah. For, those, those have been in the media as well. Yeah. And it's, it's huge. It's reached the national media. And this is about, you know, people saying this is enough. You know, yeah. the, the, the industry isn't taking it seriously. The bar owners aren't taking it seriously. But also, again, the police aren't taking it seriously. Um. And I think the longer that goes on and hopefully people will be listened to, the victims of these situations will be listened to, that society will become a little bit more sensitized towards those issues. And hopefully the beer world in Belgium, which is a conservative beer tradition, will be able to have some sort of a reckoning with the issues that, that it has. From your experience, is, is there any desire to, to kind of deal with that? Absolutely. I think, again, we're... We come back to that generational question. There's a generation of brewers and drinkers who don't take these things seriously, you know. And they would, they would, they would castigate you for being. I don't, I don't like to use the W word, so I'm not going to say it. But in the previous generation, they might say you were politically correct, or you're not fun, or why are you taking this too seriously? This is a joke, you know. It's not meant to be anything serious. But there's a new generation of people, women and men, both women and men working in the beer industry. And I see this in Brussels because Brussels is, is a progressive city, largely speaking politically compared to some of the parts of the rest of the country, um, who are just like, no, it's not good enough anymore. And they want to see some change. Now, the question is, how do you affect that change? How do you coordinate and collaborate and organize to get that change done? It's quite difficult. Belgium is a difficult place to get anything done. We're talking about a place with three national languages, three different cultures, you know, 
Not progress to, is slow. Progress is slow, but there is a desire to do something about it. What that something is, I don't know, Brendan. I mean, I'm sure you have ideas. Other people in the industry have ideas to be determined, you know. One of the most interesting parts of Belgian beer is the Lambic world. Like other producers, Lambic breweries and blenders have had a tough time over the last 18 months, but it's been a really exciting time for drinkers of spontaneous and mixed fermentation in Belgium. As newcomers enter the market, the diversity of flavours grows amongst the established producers, and as the quality across the board improves. Owen and I discussed what happened in 2021, and why 2022 might be a great year for Lambic. Okay, so you've you've just poured a, you've just poured another beer um, in a in a beautiful green seventy five CL champagne bottle. Can you tell me what it is? So this is a Lindemann's Kurs, uh, but it's a very special Lindemann's Kurs because uh, unlike most of the others, I blended it myself. Um, so uh, people may not know or people may be vaguely familiar that every couple of years in, in Belgium you have the Tour de Cures, which is a weekend festival um, where all of the Lambic brewers and blenders in the Zena Valley in the Piotrland uh, to the west of Brussels open their doors, invite in the public. Um, and it's a big celebration of sort of Cures and Lambic uh, culture, I think. Um, and one of the brewers, Lindemans, every year they, they let visitors in to blend their own lambic. So what they do is they set up a series of barrels, five, six, seven, of various different uh, vintages. So some of it is six-month-old lambic. It's going to be a year, 18 months, two years, three years. There might have even been a four-year-old barrel. To give you a brief explanation um, about how to do it, so how, what, what, the, what the usual proportions of young versus old beer should be in the beer. Then they give you a bottle and a, and a pipette and they say, off you go. Blend your own, make your own blend. And they give you some, some recommendations, like two thirds of young versus one third old, uh, which I took to heart until I got to the first barrel and I undid the cork and my pipette filled almost to the top. <laughs> so at that point it was like, okay, we're just gonna, we're just gonna do this by eye. Uh, so I you know, filled it in, filled it in with all the various different vintages that were there, uh, put it in the corking machine, put the cork, put the I crack mean, do, up do in. Do you have any vision on like, well, I think this one might be a little bit more kind of bready or this one has like got more citrus? Or, well, like yeah, so, so Brennan, it was a scientific, a semi-scientific process. So you could taste them. So you had a little tasting glass. You could be like, mm, yeah, this one is a little bit younger. It's got more, it's got more sugar in it. This one's a bit drier. You know, maybe I can mix and match. Um, but as I said... But uh, it, it, that all went out the window <laughs> once it, I failed to control the quantity of uh, of uh, of beer that I put in my first like in my first container. But it, and is there someone also like supervising the the like the, the sugar content? So like people are all these visitors just walking around creating glass bombs? No, I don't think so. I think they're not going to give you an opportunity to put something in a bottle that maybe will cause a no, problem later. No, no okay. I don't think so. Um, I think there's probably been some quality control done beforehand, and they've probably selected a selection of. Uh, single blends or barrels where they're confident that if you blend them, they won't explode in your, in your basement. So that's what we're drinking. So I bottled this in May, 2019, the Tour de um, which uh, what we didn't realize was going to be the last Tour de for some 
length of time because originally it happens every two years. But of course this year. Yeah, COVID, COVID. I mean, and, and well, first of all, I don't know, who, should I compliment Lindemans or should I compliment Owen Walsh? I'm not sure because this is, this is actually quite delicious. I, I think with all due deference, you should probably just compliment the brewers. But it's, it's all, it's like a lot of, like a lemon sherbet, like um, a, quite, quite a bit of bread. There's a nice mouthfeel. It feels to me, and I could be wrong, but the alcohol seems, it would be fairly high, no? Yeah, well, it's, so it's been, it's been maturing in the, in the basement for two years. So the yeast is going to have gotten out of whatever sugar. So I'm surprised how sweet it is. Mm-hmm. Um, lovely good head on it, I have to say. I give myself props on that. On that aspect alone, that is a good, good, good uh, head retention. But yeah, I'd say the alcohol is in the good six to seven state. Yeah, I was going to say it sounds feels to me like seven plus. Yeah, like we're, in, in we're, feel, yeah. we're hedging towards mariage parfait territory <laughs> yeah, here, I think, which yeah. is fine. But uh, it's not infected. It doesn't taste of uh, mold. No, it's, it's, uh, it, so, tastes uh, great. it tastes great. I'm, I'm really happy with that. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, the, your your point about the Tour de Cue is like it's, you know, I think it's, it's, it's an event of like as much beer significance is culture significance it really is like about the Pelotonland it's really about all those villages and I mean it's an interesting world just because the beer is just so different to everything else out there and also the people that are in that world the brewers the cafe owners you know those that are in, like the, the sort of contributing to Lambic are just the most um, unique how do I put this in a positive uh, unique and driven driven Single-minded. Single-minded people that you'll find, but also like just have, you know, personalities and, and sort of character traits, which which make for brilliant stories and True. fascinating conversations with them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And also I think are probably both necessary and, well, not both, they're just necessary to the survival of the beer Absolutely. You have to be around. you have to be completely obsessed with it in order yeah. to, to to make it right because it just is so difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and like I was involved this year with the um, the Tour de Cuse yeah. at home. So basically, like you said, that there was no Tour de Cuse. Um, You know, normally you'd see bus loads of people around all the villages. This year they tried an online thing, and and that was kind of interesting because you know, Belgium hasn't really, in any of its kind of beer uh, businesses or pursuits, hasn't really engaged that much online, you know, very actively. No, neither, I mean, neither are a lot of breweries with good websites, but for a long time, you know, it it, it it's something that you couldn't even find in, in like opening times or you couldn't find any information about their beers. You could have sworn that a generation of Belgian brewers never heard of the internet. Exactly, you know, and, and that is changing, I think, with yeah. the, the breweries that are there now, but but even in Lambic as well, it's it's changed a lot. So this was an online event and people from all over the world could basically come on while we did a live stream and talk to, to the brewers. Um, and, you know, that was that was the first time that a, a live stream event with access to all the producers in that style of beer um, in Horal had, had happened. It hadn't, hasn't happened with the Belgian family brewers. It hasn't happened mm-hmm. with, you know, in, in other spheres with like saison producers or whatever, old brown producers. It's just like, this is the first time it's happened. So it was kind of a unique event. Yeah. Um, and I think it was good because normally you don't really get to hear so directly from the producers. But on the other hand, there is nothing like standing, you know, in between an old dilapidated building in Hansen's and you know the, the the horses that are there beside you, and then someone's trying to make a burger in the back, and everyone's drinking like you know flat, you know, Scarabeck's a Greek beer, oh, yeah. you know, and it's like just the most unique experience ever. And and the fact that everyone's moving between the breweries and bumping into each other, yeah. and there's music there, and 
um, you know, and they're just trying all these all these different beers that they probably wouldn't have tried before. Even if you're a, a lambic aficionado, there are lots so much. Yeah, there's they, so much to try. They pull out the special. Yeah, they pull out the special beers, and even the brewers and blenders who are not part of Horal and don't participate officially in the weekend, they'll always put on a good menu. Um, in their bars. And and that, that's why I think next year that the Tour de Fusa will go ahead. I think and it I, has to. And I think that that will be a really fantastic event because there are people that have been waiting to go to that for so long. Yeah. And you talk about the international aspect of it. Like people have that in their agenda, in their calendar months, a year in advance. Um, and they come from all over. Like, So the way it works is for people who haven't been on it, there are buses, there are bus routes across the Piotland. Um, you get picked up at Hollow Train Station at 9am. You visit five breweries on Saturday, drops you back to the train station. You go back into Brussels, go to Cantillon, have more sour beer, take a load of uh, Rennies, go to bed. And then you wake up on Sunday and you get the next bus and it takes you to five other different breweries or blenderies. And then you do the same again. And uh, and I think actually next year we'd have to see, because Cantillon, they do their own um, sort of Cantillon Festival. Quintessence. Every, quintessence every three years. Now that also didn't take place. And the breweries who were due to come, they usually, they invite a number of international friends, normally a, an American brewery or a European brewery. Um, they're always very sought after. So the last edition was with Hill Farmstead, a beer that we don't see very often in Belgium. Um, they obviously had to cancel the question is whether they'll do it at the same time because often they're in the same weekend, but just in different years. So. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's, there's also been so many um, other festivals that have been cancelled that kind of want to get started again. So, you know, I remember years where you had Nacht van de Grote Dorst, which is also like a, a Lambic event yeah. on the same weekend as the Runche Road Brown, which is a, a, a like a, an old brown tour around Southwest Planners on the same weekend as Zitos Festival on the same weekend as, you know, the, and, and there was all these other quintessence was on yeah. like at the same There's time. There's something about early May that just attracts um, Belgian brewers like flies on on on, on, on honey um, to do their festivals. And I think, I'm, I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. I've never actually done, apart from the 2019, we didn't do the bus tour. I have two small kids. So we drove out to Lindemans and then we drove into Ad Bersel. Lindemans we went to because they had a bouncy castle. It turned out they had two bouncy castles, um, which was great for the kids, but I've never done the bus experience. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the great thing about it is though that all the brews are so different on the day. Like, you know, if yeah. you go to somewhere like Bone, it's a pretty big affair. They have a big yeah. hall. They have like a big brass band. There's a lot of people there and they have a lot of, you know, and they have like a, the kind of the, the bar for the connoisseurs and then they have like all the, the other stuff. Yeah. But if you go to somewhere like the Drock, yeah, which is kind of, you know, pretty small and more limited resources or Hansen's, for example, yeah. which is basically just Godot like a farm. Or Carol who's going to play you. Or the, the camp. <laughs> yeah. He's going to play you his bagpipes. Yeah. I've never seen it, yeah. but I've heard much but about I mean, it. You have to pick though, because like, you know, you want to go to Lindemans mm. and you want to see Lindemans and you yeah. want to go to Bone, but you also want to go to some of these smaller ones. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so, so that's something really to look forward to this year. But I think, you know, on the, on the topic of acid, you know, there has been kind of, I think, well, maybe you disagree with me, but I think there has been some more interest among Belgians and the younger Belgian breweries in sort of doing things which are either not spontaneous maybe, but mixed fermentation yep. or have some element of, of a lambic culture in them, whether it's in, you know, use of aged hops or cool shipping beer. And that has, you know, surprisingly maybe in a way come, come back a lot in the last year, yep. year, two years. I think you're seeing a confluence of a couple of different trends there. Um, number one, I think Lambic has never been in a healthier position 
now than in the last 40, 50 years. We're talking back the heyday of, you know, the 50s and the 60s even. And even then, you know, it was, it was, it was on the downward trend. Now it's certainly on the upward trend. So you have more producers producing a wider variety of flavors, also having a wider variety of backgrounds. So you take, for example, uh, Raff at Boca, comes from, comes from a part of Flanders, which is full of vineyards and fruit fields and everything. And he's very comfortable using local ingredients to fruit his beers in a way that is, goes beyond uh, creek and framboise and pêche, if you're going to push the boat out a little bit. Then you've got people like, uh, like Pierre Tilcan at Tilcan. He's, got a, he's, he's very focused. He's got a very clear mind. He's got a scientific background. He takes it very seriously. He's got his process. He's got, he's his, got his process and he makes beautifully clean beer. And he's also willing to push the boat out when it comes to the different kind of varieties. And then you've got like Three Fontaine who are sort of leaning even further into the sort of wine influence of very dry, very tannic beers. Um, and then you have a whole new generation of drinkers and brewers who don't see the distinctions between beer and wine. You know, we talk about natural wine. It's not a, it's not a, it's not something I've gotten into myself very much. It's not a culture I'm very familiar with on a personal level. But you talk to brewers, particularly some of the newer brewers, a lot of them are interested in wine and a lot of them are interested in those mixed fermentation beers. But you see that sort of the, the philosophy behind it is the same and they share that. And they don't just want to be making beer beer, but they want to be broadening their horizons in terms of what's possible. Yeah. yeah. And I think as well, you know, I mean, you know, you could, you know, sort of spread it out a bit further to talk about the people like uh, Tom Jacobs at Antidote. Absolutely. But, but you know, it's also people like um, Sana Elenbos, mm-hmm. who, you know, if you were to say, oh, there's someone who's starting up a farm in the Pajotalan and they're going to make Lambic, you would say, okay, that's pretty interesting. But when you say that that person has spent time working at Dri Fontaine, who, you know, knows what he wants to do and has a vision for his own family farm, which mm-hmm. has its own kind of personal baggage and heritage yeah, and itself. and has a very famous name no, attached to it. Exactly. So Elenbosch Lambic will now become this other thing. And then it, it, it's perhaps very Belgian that there's a confusingly another Lambic brewery starting, <laughs> which is also called Elenbosch Lambic. Yeah. Which so, is a, a kind of slightly, slightly different, perhaps, uh, you know, they have their absolute claim to heritage as well. And maybe that's a, a slightly more commercial affair mm-hmm. and, and you know we will absolutely get to see what what, the, what those guys deliver but you know there there's definitely activity and it's it's coming from both smaller producers but also some people that are like really investing in, in lambic absolutely i think i mean the future looks quite bright at the moment which is great um because it gives a guarantee or a certainty um to producers that people are going to want to buy their beers so i think of a brewery like lambic fabrique the first new uh, Lambic brewery, not blendery. So to make the distinction for those who are maybe less familiar with the with the traditions, you have the brewers who brew it, but you also have blenders who buy their wort and then, and then age it themselves. Lambic Fabrique were, were the first new Lambic brewery in 20 years after Drie Fontaine. And they're really pushing it now. I mean, they have a whiskey Lambic, they have a, a 10% plus Lambic. Um, they have very interesting fruit Lambics. You know, it's giving those producers who want to try something different a certainty that there's going to be a market for their beers. And I think, I don't think, I don't think we need to worry about the health of Lambic now. Is if we, if we were having this conversation a decade ago, 
you would have been talking about the old reliables yeah. and, 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 and what were they going to do? A changing of the, you know, there was going to yeah. have to be a changing of the guard at some point. And we're right in the middle of that now, because you see, for example, with bone, you mentioned bone, like Frank bone was retired now officially. Now he remains on site as the chief uh, bowel maker. <laughs> and I don't think Carol and yo, his sons will ever get rid of him. Is it you? Yes. 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 Um, yeah, but you're absolutely right. Like that. That's that's a, it's a marker. Like that. Okay, here's a new generation. But there's, you know, Frank. I, I don't want to say it's a massive loss because I don't think he's going anywhere just yet. Oh, I think he's. I think he's in it for the long run. But but yeah, like you say, like there's. I you know I think everyone has complete confidence in Carol and Yoss. Absolutely. And and that's you know shows how mature maybe it's coming and and that mm-hmm. the, you know Bone is such a leading leading brewery in that way. Yeah, I, I mean Frank Bone has confidence in them. So there's no reason why we shouldn't have confidence in them either. And you've already, I mean, even though they've only officially taken over uh, as of January of this year, you've already seen their influence. People would have seen that the Bone branding has updated. Now, it wasn't terrible. It's a little bit better now. Um, Anyone who follows them on Facebook will see that they've just recently opened uh, a little tasting room and a shop on site, which is a big innovation for Lamech Breweries because unlike a lot of other breweries, that sort of, outward facing activity has just it's just not existed yeah but that's what i was going to say like they are they're just transparent now they're more transparent than they were they're you know just honest to discussing their products which is what people want to do absolutely and it's great to see as well and it's great to have new younger voices you know who are going to follow obviously their father's footsteps because he was the man who along with uh, the Van Wa family in Brussels and the, the De Belders in, in Beersel rescued Lambic from, from obliteration. So they're not going to not listen to him, but they're also going to tell him what they want to do and they're going to do it now because they're in charge. The snow is falling down I've been longing for this Christmas When everyone's around To share this holiday Yes, it's a time of happiness, a time of joy, but now this year is twice as special because I'm hoping for us to fall in love in this winter wonderland. 2021 would have been a really difficult year to open a Belgian brewery for a number of reasons. Owen and I discussed some of those reasons, including COVID, of course, but also the awful flooding which devastated parts of Belgium and then just changes to the market more generally. We also picked out a few Belgian breweries that opened this year, who may be ones to watch for 2022. Cities are becoming increasingly the locus, the central place where brewing takes place. And I think Belgium is, what, 10, 15 years behind the trend, as with most trends. I mean, things take longer in Belgium than they do elsewhere but that sort of urban brewery which is anchored in a particular even in a particular neighborhood not necessarily in a city in itself but even more locally in a neighborhood i think is really um something that we've seen in the last 12 months even with the pandemic but it's it's a trend that we've seen going on further i mean for me obviously my geographic focus is often probably too narrow but looking at brussels but there are two good examples of local breweries that have opened recently uh doing quite different things and quite different things to the existing beer option that exists. So one of them is Brasserie de la Mule, which is in Scarbeck, um, opened by a um, graduate of the Brasserie de la Seine School of Brewing. <clears throat> so you can imagine 
Well, I, I think I can forgive you for like the Brussels glasses here, because I think for me as well, Mool are the the standout kind of brewery of interest for everyone in Belgium to sort of, we're following to see how they do. We're interested in, in what they're producing. We're looking at the branding and, you know, they are, like, as you say, Joel is is of, of de la Seine sort of, you know, stock. Yeah. So I think for everyone, they, they are you know, uh, a brewery that people are interested in following? Like, w- what have you seen from them so far? What do you, how do you think they're going to, what direction are they going to go in? Um, well, they opened, unlike many Belgian breweries, with a focus on German beers. So Joel has been quite clear, and I think his influence and his desire to brew is German, ins- German origin or inspired lager beers. So they have, their first beer out the gate was a uh, Weizen, a Weisse. But how does that sit with proud Belgian Brusselers? Ah, yeah, but you see, the thing with Brussels is, um, Brussels sort of exists sui generis. You know, there is no, if there's a Brussels identity, it's like, fuck the rest of you guys. <laughs> you know, where Brussels is a city of 120 different languages. It's a city also that is quite hostile to its own residents. So there's not that sort of, in, this, in, in the way that Antwerp, I think, is quite different. People in Antwerp are quite like, I'm from Antwerp. This is what Antwerp is. In Brussels, it's, I'm from Brussels, but Brussels can be anything. So are you, but does that mean as well that Mool couldn't exist in Hasselt, where you try to sell a, a Hefeweizen or a Salad? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, so they started off with a Hefeweizen. Uh, they moved on to Cezanne, obviously. That comes from Joel's legacies. He also worked at Cantillon. I mean, he has that tradition behind him. Dave, I've just seen recently, I mean, at the beginning of the month, they put out a Hellas. You know, their focus is very clear. And I think in Brussels, that's increasingly important because you have, we're pushing on 16, 17 breweries. We'll probably hit 20 in the next couple of years. Crazy, that's crazy. From a situation of when I moved to the city in 2009, there was uh, one brewery. But again, that's, that's it. We have to, I think we have to make that point that, you know, people in London would be like, you know, oh, how many breweries are there in London? I, I don't know. Is it like, is it like a hundred? Oh, a hundred and fifty, something 100, like that, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and and you talk about 16 breweries a lot, but like, yeah, when, when, when I came, it was like, yeah, Cantillon, I think De La Seine was just opening and it's like, you know, um, the the city is now, there are breweries like just really popping up everywhere. There is, there is, we're really in that sort of expansionary phase right now. I think probably five, maybe 10 years. I mean, people in the industry will say that there's still room for expansion. And I think it's a conservative market. So it's more difficult to open and, and sustain in Brussels, I think, than maybe in other cities. The challenge in Brussels is getting tap space because there's a lot of, I mean, as we were talking about, a lot of the bars are owned and beholden to a certain amount of different breweries and it's hard to get that tap space. And as more breweries arrive, that becomes even But, but you even have, you have tied, tied bars in other countries and other That's markets. True. So I think... It's also a, like a maybe slightly conservative nature to the drinker in 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 Brussels, or maybe that's not true. Yeah, I think uh, Brussels. Not to get too psychogeographical on it, like Brussels is a collection of disparate neighborhoods, and I think what Mule is, has has been very successful at is they're interesting for the beer curious, but they're also very well embedded in their neighborhood in Scarabeck which is a big neighborhood. I mean, we're talking a, a neighborhood of 100,000 people, which has a quite a clear identity. Um, they're very central. They're close to several of the other beer 
sort of interested places, places like uh, Barboteur, which is a which is a ta- which is a, a beer shop and bar. Um, and they have a natural wine place, which is only a couple of minutes walk from Mule. There's a couple of other places towards the park, Park Josepha. Oh yeah, Scalbix is increasing. Yeah, a great Scalbix. place to drink. Yeah, they like to they like to pitch it as like the Williamsburg of uh, Brussels, but I don't know how how realistic that is. Um, but I think Brussels, I think Mule have balanced that well. They appeal to the to the beer geek, if we want to use that term, but they also offer something for the neighborhood. So they host uh, a lot of music. I mean, everybody who works in Telesen, I think, is interested in like heavy metal or whatever. It's not exactly my beer. It's not exactly my music style, but they all have a, a strong musical heritage, and the bar reflects that. They have a tap room now. They have a in the summertime. They put out a terrace. You know, it's a it's a it's a place for people who live in that neighborhood in a neighborhood in which there's still sort of an undercapacity in interesting places to drink, despite the places that we've just mentioned. So Mule balance that very well. They have a very clear branding. Like it or hate it, it's incredibly clear. It's immediately identifiable as from that brewery. I quite like it. It's very busy. Other people might not like it. I mean, it, it, it diverges quite a lot. From it's got this kind of like American gold <clears throat> rush feel to it. But that's exactly the origin, yeah. And I think the, the colours and the kind of contrast and the typography is is very unique. And like you said, I've, I mean, I also really like it, but I think I like it because it's very original and it stands out. And it's like, I, I like when a brewery has a strong identity and just doesn't try to copy some corporate you know thing and it's like yeah this guy that this is like but it's also very much of ammo the illustrator the illustrator yeah 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 it's um, i mean again joel and ammo they met at a at a at a famous um brussels um music hall which is renowned for its metal and alternative music scene and um, but for all of those people who are sort of skeptical of breweries who are good at branding a brewery lives or dies by the quality of the beer and so far the beer has been very good you know, it's been a range of different styles. It's mostly focused on either saisons on one side and lagers. So, but I, I don't think you can separate because I think success as a brewery in this day and age is based on like sometimes it's like, well, what do we need to do to succeed? And people say, oh, you know, the beer has to be great, of course, given. And people say, um, you know, the, the branding has to be great, but but I think actually just everything has to be great mm-hmm. like to survive. There's so many breweries now; yeah. people expect so much. They've got so much choice that you, you have to give the full package. And I think that's what excites me about Mule is like, there's experience, there's knowledge, there's, you know, experimentation, mm-hmm. there's, there's doing care. something, there's care. But there's also doing something different. Like, you know, I, you know, let's just make German beers in, in Scadabake. You know, that's fantastic, you know. To put on my, to put on my brewer's historian hat, a brewery historian hat, which is not a big hack, but it's something I've been writing about on, on the blog for, for the last six months. Like, it's not new, but it's been a long time since somebody has tried to do this. So historically, Brussels has been has been a, a lager beer town, um, alongside Lambic is sort of sort of a dysfunctional. Lambic and lager, too. Lambic and lager. I know. Yeah. To drink, you know, it's like, what, what else name. do you want? There's a good name for a festival now in 2023. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, not to focus on one particular brewery. Obviously, I'm quite blinkered when it comes to to, to my geographic focus. But Mule has been somebody who was highly highly anticipated. They got it right straight out the gate. That's not always the case. Um, we've had other breweries who are coming along. Um, they're either crowdfunding in 2021, probably opening uh, production in 2022 or at the end of this year, like at the right at the end of this year, but probably not much time left. Um, another brewery which which opened in the heat of the, pa- like right in the middle of the pandemic was Brasserie de la Jungle. Jungle? 
uh, for any Anglophone speakers. I call it jungle. And, and when I interviewed the uh, owners of the brewery, they corrected me. Um, <laughs> and unlike, and so if, if Mule is going for German style beers, these guys have actually gone for English style beers. So they produced a bitter they produce oh, like traditional English yeah, beers? Yeah, traditional English style beers in, in a way much more exaggerated than maybe some of the other and are they Are they Belgians? They're Belgians, And yeah. where and has that influence come from or that interest? I I just, just drinking interest. I mean, one of them has a, um, he comes from a family of wine importers um, from uh, Australian wine. Uh, another one worked and and sort of apprenticed in, in Canada. So where the where the interest in English beers comes from, I don't know, but sessionable beers. Again, we come back to that point of sessionable beers. And actually they made one of my, I think a beer that surprised me more than any beer that I've tried was a, a table beer. So low ABV, sessionable beer. We're talking about three, 3.5%. Uh, and for a brand new brewery, um, those beers can be quite hard to pull off because either they're watery, to an extent that it's just not worth it, or they're maybe too acidic or too lactic if they're doing a sort of a mixed fermentation. But this one really threaded that needle incredibly well. It was lactic, it was yogurty, it was very light to drink, um, went down incredibly easily. Um, they brew in a in an eight hundred liter vessel. You know, it's we're talking nano nano kind of brewery um, out of a former textile factory <clears throat> in post urban Anderlecht. You know, it's like total cliche, <laughs> um, but they're making really, really good beers. And I think it's, you know, Mule... But it sounds like one to watch. Different, yeah. different. Uh, Mule came straight out the gate with a very clear identity, with a very clear brewing legacy and, and, and background. It was clear they were going to do a good job and they did it. These guys are coming in a little bit out of the more traditional sort of bootstrapping ourselves from brewing in a garage to brewing somewhere else uh, on a professional kit. And they've done a good job too. And I and, and I was really excited because I think probably you and I both share a certain natural inherent skepticism about new breweries, because um, you never know what the quality is going to be like. Absolutely, and I think you know if you're if you're starting, you should you know embrace that and sort of say like, well, we're here for the long haul, and we will be proven on our on what we produce. But you know, so let let's maybe move from Brussels and Flanders and, and try you know other parts of Belgium. Um, in Wallonia, has there been anybody that's kind of excited you in the last 18 months, two years that you think would be maybe someone to watch in 2022? Um, Misery, which is a brew pub slash B&B slash recording space, if I am to judge their social media correctly. Um, they have come with a lot of potential. So they're also brewing IPAs, saisons. Everything is in can. It's very modern. The branding is quite identifiable again we talk about branding um yeah but it's it, it's a small operation though it's a small the, operation. the impression i get there is that they're very passionate they're a family operation but that they're very good yeah and they have coming back to it they have strong ties to a lot of the other brewing centers in the, in, in in belgium so they have good relationships with the brewers in brussels they've collaborated i know they're good friends with lamartage in particular. for example yeah, yeah they've collaborated with them in the past um something about um Misery, they were quite badly affected by the storms and the flooding uh, in yeah, the summer just passed. So uh, people may or may not know that Wallonia and particularly in the south around Liège and beyond Liège, Peppingen and those sorts of Pepinster, um, very bad flooding, incredibly bad flooding. I mean, people's houses were destroyed. People were left homeless. Huge yeah, it, was, uh, it, was, it was devastating. Humanitarian disaster down there. Um, and they got off 
I mean, they didn't get off lightly, but they were flooded. Their facility was flooded. They've worked very hard to get things back on track um, in the autumn. Um, it, it must be so difficult though, like when you, when you, when you've just been through like a, a coronavirus pandemic where yeah. you can't visit your family, uh, you know, personally and your own like mental health and all that sort of stuff. But then you have to deal with your brewery and your business where, you know, you you can't basically sell your beers to, to hospitality trade because they're all closed. Exactly. And then your your region is hit with a, like a devastating flood that destroys everyone's home. I mean, I, 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 I maybe I'm, I'm being wrong here when I say this, but I think a lot of people missed the kind of devastation in Belgium because it was so bad in Germany as well. Yeah. And a lot of the international headlines were focused on the floods in Germany, but like in like that part of like that southern part of Belgium, like uh, Papenstern in particular, yeah. was just absolutely gutted and people were just watching their homes like wash away. Absolutely. And we're only talking, I mean, that's what, 50 kilometers, 60 kilometers yeah, so away small. from Germany? I mean, it's essentially the same the same geographical area. Um, and I remember, you know, watch like we, we did, we did a collection for blankets and clothes and food and we collected it at the, at the town hall in Kugelberg and it was sent down, down below. It was really that bad. I mean, yeah. people I mean just some people... of the stuff you see in the news and some of the stuff you hear from stories and, and I, I know it hit the international media and all, but like in Belgium, it was like really just absolutely devastating. Yeah. So they've, they've been through a lot in the last 18 months. I mean, as have many breweries here in, in, in Belgium, but, Disproportionately, I think the, the the breweries down there in Liège and towards um, German-speaking Belgium have been quite badly hit. Liège itself has a new uh, inner city brewery again, banging on that theme of most of the new breweries now yeah. are opening in city center locations. I think that's a combination both of the desire of people to open something there, but also the canny business instincts of Belgian real estate developers who think that they can get um, young, middle-class, well paid people to come and drink in the city center locations. I, I, I think, I don't think we can avoid that conclusion that, you know, I, I'm not going to say the breweries are being instrumentalized by real estate developers, but there's definitely a hand in glove approach there that they both recognize it's mutually beneficial. And, you know, the developments about like urban as well is kind of, now that I think about it, you have um, in, in Ghent, like, you know, I guess two of the brands that, that, that are particularly strong amongst beer enthusiasts would be the beers of Dock and the kind of the Pils Dartin beer yeah. from the Ministry of Belgian Beer, which is like this very kind of um, earthy, dry, um, you know, with a, with a really strong bitterness. Pilsner, which which I, you know, I think is a really great beer. Could, uh, we, could we pitch it as the first sort of properly craft? It's like a, it's like a German Pilsner yeah. in Belgium, you yeah. know, like, and... and I just think it's like so like refreshing to drink and dry and bitter and stands as such a juxtaposition to like the, the commercial, you know, lagers that are on the market right now. But, you know, they, they already had a relationship with Doc in terms of, of ownership and like and like long, long time kind of collaboration and stuff. But those two companies now have um, merged into one company. So I guess they kind of see the future as let's just pool our resources Let's go all in on dock. We can brew pills thirteen in dock, and you know, you know, consolidate all that sort of the commercial interest. Um, and you know, dock is also growing as kind of I think you know, Ghent has always teetered on this kind of. There's lots of different things happening, lots of different people, and they've tried to form groups like Kent Braut and and, and different people have been contracting beers in places that are from Ghent with a Ghent mm. identity. And they're more and more coming together and like maturing a little bit. And I think 
Um, Doc has kind of been at the forefront of that and has been a leader of that. And, you know, Janos Debats, who's the brewer there, was involved with Hedonis, is good friends with Totem, is good friends with Dimitri from, from Pils 13. And those guys have a close relationship with the Larohante guys. And there's this evolution and all the, the, uh, the beer bars in Ghent as well also gravitate towards Doc, not just for stocking their beers, but just to support them and ask them questions about, you know, maybe the beer list and things. So I think like that's kind of a, a, an emphasis on your, re-emphasis on your point about, you know, the urban centres kind of maybe doing something a little bit different or trying to pull together a little bit more. Thanks to you guys once more for everything this year. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Stay safe over the festive period and try as much as possible to rest your body and your mind. Look after those close to you. Focus on the people you care about and the things that matter to you. Until next time, love what you do. Uh, Christmas time, uh, right around the corner. Uh, how are you going to be celebrating? So Christmas for us, um, as a Belgo Irish family, <laughs> we get both Sinterklaas and Santa Claus. Um, so Santa Claus will come on the night of December 24th. Uh, and, uh, on Christmas day, we have already booked the local football canteen of my wife's grandmother, uh, for a family buffet of beers, cakes, and food. Uh, so we'll spend the day drinking in Kortenaken, which is actually not far. Kortenaken, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. From Leuven and from Antidote uh, Brewery. Uh, we'll spend the day uh, drinking there, eating cheesecake and banana cake and various other cakes, getting very drunk on horse ale and what other, other weird... Uh, Local curiosities they have in the beer fridge there in the in the beer canteen. What about yourself? Um, oh, it's back to Ireland. Wow. Absolutely. Back to Ireland. That's um, last Christmas was one of the few Christmases I didn't spend at home with my family. And uh, it's always a time when, you know, we've always come together with my extended family. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, especially because I have two young kids who are going to, you know, get to, you know, they, they have so much... Um, you know, love and, and, and time with their Belgian family. So it's it's going to be really exciting that they can, you know, see what's happening in Warren Point and, and go, we're going to go to Carlingford for, for a couple of days as well in a different house. And yeah, I know it's, it's like, um, I'm, I'm just really excited to, to get home and, and have like an Irish Christmas for the first time, you know, in, 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 in two years since COVID hit. And will you take some Belgian beers back with you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I've, I, everyone's converted, you know, over the years. I've, I, <laughs> I mean, what, what's not to love about Belgian beer at Christmas time? It's oh. just the most perfect accompaniment, it's, Sweet, you know, across strong. a variety of styles <laughs> at the dinner table. So, I mean, yeah, my, my parents and my brothers and, you know, their partners and everyone is like, they're yeah, already putting they're in all their completely converted. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that's going to be fun. Can we do this again for 2022? Absolutely. Uh, but this time, you're going to have to come to Brussels. I'll come to Brussels. That's no problem. The boys will be a little bit older, so I'll have a full day. Full Deal. day away. Okay. Perfect. <laughs>